With all the glitz and glamour of Hollywood's smallest night, it's the 2022 High on Film Awards. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Maxwell and Brad Davis. Good evening, ladies and germs. And I say germs because COVID is still very real. 2021 was the year we got back to theaters to see such great cinema like Mortal Kombat, Jungle Cruise, and Dear Evan Hansen. And what do all those movies have in common? They all claim to have climaxes. Just like your mom. And that seamless segue leads us right into the first category of the night, Best Climax. The nominees for Best Climax in a film are The Power of the Dog, No Time to Die, Don't Look Up, The Last Duel, and Spider-Man, No Way Home. And the Felix goes to Spider-Man, No Way Home. Congrats to Tom Holland and Zendaya. Whether your relationship is real or just manufactured by the studio, we are way too invested. The next category can be an overload of cuteness, but really, it's just two demographics that don't care where they shit. The nominees for Best Child or Animal in a Movie are... Jude Hill, Belfast. Wink the Chihuahua, Cruella. Brandy the Truffle Pig, Pig. Woody Norman, Come On, Come On. And the Anthrax Cow. The Power of the Dog. And the winner is... The The Anthrax Anthrax Cow. The Anthrax Cow couldn't be with us tonight on the account of it being filled with anthrax, so we'll be accepting this award on its behalf. From Los Angeles, California, it's High on Film! Tonight, we've got Brandon Black and Fargo... Whenever they raise the postage, people need the little stamps on tonight's episode. This is a true podcast. The events depicted in this recording took place in California in 2022. At the request of the survivors, the names have been kept the same. Out of respect for the dead, the rest has been recorded exactly as it occurred. Welcome to High on Film, sobering talk about movies. I'm Chris Maxwell, your host, and welcome once more to our annual celebration of the Academy Awards, our Oscar Spectacular Part 1 Oscar Throwback Edition. My oh my... What a time to be alive. The Academy Awards are right around the corner, and here we are celebrating the only way we know how with another episode of our podcast. Let's get right to it. So much to talk about today. First thing on the agenda, the man right to my left, the co-host of this podcast, the co-host of From the Couch, in fact, the podcaster of Disaster, and the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Happy Oscar season, Chris. Happy Oscar season, Brad. Isn't this exciting? It always is. It's my favorite season. It's, it is very fun. As much as the Oscars are always wrong and always problematic, I can't 
tear myself away from loving them. It is quite an abusive relationship at this point. I've loved them since I was a kid and I love them today. And at this point, it's like, you know, they're I I care about what happens in them way too much, but I also understand that it's more than anything a jumping off point for conversations about movies. Yeah, which actually only puts more pressure on them to be right because I want the right movies to be remembered and talked about more. But honestly, the last couple of years, we've had a really good crop of best pictures. So I I feel pretty good about that. Yes. I mean, post Green Book, I guess. Yeah, post Green Book. (laughs) Yeah, that that accepted, yeah. Anyway, let's get to the conceit of this show. Normally we watch movies, we play some games, we have some fun, we do a little chit-chat. Spoilers will be inherent. But these Oscar shows, we run just slightly differently. We ask our guest to choose anything nominated for Best Picture 10 years ago, 25 years ago, 50 years ago, or 75 years ago. So that's a nice crop of good movies to talk about. He settled on a good one. This year, for Oscar throwback, we're doing Fargo from 1996. Directed by Joel Cohen. Of course, his brother Ethan also directed Uncredited. Written by both Ethan and Joel Cohen. And nominated for seven Academy Awards. Only winning um, actress for Frances McDormand. And original screenplay, which the Coens will find very familiar territory in the future. Our guest today... You know him from many High on Film episodes, from the early days of Sunset Boulevard to former Oscar spectaculars like Moonlight. He's starred in Death at Sunset, season two. You can see him in the Dear White People series on Netflix. And he's now making history in Netflix's Medea Homecoming. Here he is, the man himself. Uh, A privilege to know this man for many years and to be able to call him uh, our friend. Mr. Brandon Black. Hey. Aw, that always makes me smile when you say nice things. <laughs> You're so good at that. Uh, well, I write it down ahead of time. I put a lot of thought into it. <laughs> Worked out. Feeling right. I'm glad to be here with you guys. Oh, Brandon, so great to have you back. So great to always spend time with you. And uh, so excited for your recent success in the Medea Homecoming. It's so good. You're amazing in it. Uh, and just well-deserved, man. I, you couldn't ask for it to happen to a better person. Next stop, a Coen Brothers movie, right? <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh, my God. Next stop. <laughs> as much as Thank I love you. the Coens, they need to work on their diversity anyway. You know, you know, Amen. we'll get there. Yeah, you know, and I'm and hey, like you said, history making with this movie, I'm down to help out again if anyone needs, <laughs> you know, their next first black guy or whatever. I'm I'm here to help. You're going to be typecast as a history maker. Yeah. Oh, dang. Uh, <laughs> I know. I hate pigeonholed. <laughs> <laughs> the weight on those shoulders, my friend. I tell you, the shoulders are popping and cracking. <laughs> they look good. They look like good shoulders. <laughs> they can handle it. <laughs> well, guys, the Academy Awards are right around the corner. I got to know. I mean, we don't want to get into too much talk. But that's going to be next episode. You know, because Fargo, we have so much to talk about and I want to dig into it. That's what people are here to listen to. But before we do that, who are you rooting for? Any big uh, fan fan service you're giving to any of these movies or performances this year? Any, what's like your one or two, these have to win the Oscar this year. My number one 
person who I would want to win an Oscar who's not going to win an Oscar is Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. I mm. He floored me in that movie. Uh, I didn't think he had a performance like that in him. I thought he was phenomenal. But it's pretty, uh, I, I think it's a pretty foregone conclusion at this point. It looks like Will Smith's going to win, which I love me some Will Smith. So uh, I, I actually think his performance in that is great. I And, you know, I've been a huge Will Smith fan since, you know, Fresh Prince days. So I'm... That's a fine consolation prize, but if I could pick one person this year to win an Oscar, it would probably be Garfield for Tick Tick. Interesting. I agree. I loved his performance in it. Uh, and while I do agree that I think Will Smith deserves an Oscar, it does feel like he's going to get it for King Richard more for deserving one for his career rather than for the specific performance. Mm. Um, although I know I'm not as high on King Richard as a lot of people, especially you, Brad. <laughs> We've debated this. Uh, I mean, we won't get onto this on air, but I do think he has like legitimate Oscar scenes in that movie that are worthy. And I think he is fantastic. But yes, we have gone back and forth on this. Yeah. And we don't need to do it for our listeners. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's spend an hour and a half debating the merits of Will Smith's performance in King Richard. Which is, which is funny because I think we both want Andrew Garfield to win. I, I, Andrew <laughs> Garfield's my number one for best actor this year as well. Totally. Yeah. Man, but I, I like seeing Will Smith get one. Of course. I haven't seen Tick Tick Boom yet. Um Ooh, highly recommend, man. I know. I'm Especially actually Especially like struggling artist stuff. Like right. I, I mean, for artists, I think it's such a good struggling artist movie. Uh I know. I, I'm actually quite behind on a lot of stuff this year. Um, I'm going to vote for Will Smith because I also want him to have this. I want him to I want him to receive this in front of his peers and know that like I just want that moment, I guess, because I keep wanting that moment for him. And this seems, even though I haven't seen it yet, this mm. the run up to this has all kind of looked like someone who's about to win an Oscar. Um, and also, you know, I'm a big Beyonce fan and she has something to do with this movie as well. So that's who I'm picking. Yeah, true. <laughs> all right. Of course. Strong I for my choices. <laughs> Any strong feelings about Best Picture? I feel like I kind of... I don't feel too strongly about best picture this year. I, I kind of want as it to be the power of the win. dog. Exactly. Yeah. Like as far as what's going to win. I, I, I hope it's power of the dog or West side story. Those are probably my top two of the nominees. Um, I did love nightmare alley, but I know that's uh, pretty contentious. Mm. Uh, Coda. I also found really lovely, um, but I don't know if I'd put that in best picture, my personal best picture caliber. Uh, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a weak year. I think Power of the Dog I thought was going to win, and then Coda's got a little steam recently. But I think ultimately, I think Power of the Dog's still going to win Best Picture. I'm pretty confident in that at this point. Yeah, although I think and, Vegas odds have Belfast being the number two. And oh. that would be a big surprise to me. I did not really care for that movie. So I, I guess I'm more rooting against that than I am for anything at this point. Well, Belfast has won like nothing. Yeah. Like no no big awards leading up to this where I, I feel like it's Coda, West Side, or Power of the Dog feel like the three that are really have a chance to win to win the big prize to me. And I think while Coda's really a, a lovely movie, I just don't think it has that best picture element to it. And mm. West Side already won a best picture for the same movie. And I mm. feel while it's brilliantly made by spielberg i just feel like the academy will steer away from maybe doing that but you know you never know 
I also thought yeah. they were going to give it to Chadwick last year. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the big yeah, yeah. We're still harping on it, and I'll harp on it forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess be- again, since I'm a bit behind this year, I'm going for Don't Look Up because my boss is in it. And- <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And so. Good company, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, hey, he worked with everybody. He's worked with literally everybody, and now he's worked with Leo. It's like, dude, I shared screen time with someone that's worked with Leo and Janet Jackson and Idris Elba. Uh, so that's who I'm going with. Even though, yeah, from what I've read, it's it's not looking good for that movie. No, again, yeah. very contentious. Uh, yes. nominee. I did. I, I like Don't Look Up more than I have any of these uh, Adam McKay new age films or yeah. political films. Yeah, given the plot and it's a funny thing to say it's a very fun film, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a very fun film, but yeah, best picture it's, it's a stretch. Yeah. yeah. Alright guys, well let's put the Oscars aside. They're to come in a few days. Let's talk Fargo. If you haven't yeah. seen this movie, Maybe a good time to give it a view. I believe it's streaming on Amazon Prime as of this recording. But if you haven't, go watch it. Pause the podcast. If you've maybe seen it a while back, you need a little refresher. Here is a little trailer Brad and I have prepared for you. In a world of bumbling Coen Brothers characters. What if something goes wrong, Dad? No, no. Nothing's going wrong here. With all due respect, Jerry, I don't want you mucking this up. One man's insecurities will set off a chaotic chain of events that will ruin lives and lead to gruesome deaths. This was supposed to be a no rough stuff type deal. That has been shed, Jerry. Meet Jerry Lundergaard. I'm uh, Jerry Lundergaard. A mild-mannered car salesman desperate to prove his manhood to his family. So he invents a cockamamie scheme to extort his father-in-law. You want your own wife kidnapped? Yeah. He hires two career criminals to pull off the job. Sure, Jerry, we're all set. Why wouldn't we be? And when things go sideways, local cop Marge Gunderson is on their trail. So what's the deal now? Gary says triple homicide? Yeah, looks pretty bad. Two of them are over here. And the catch is, she's seven months pregnant. Mind if I sit down? Carrying quite a load here. Can she stop them, or will all her hopes end up in the wood chipper? Ma'am, I answered your question. I answered the darn, I'm cooperating here. MGM and Polygram Pictures presents a movie that should have won Best Picture over The English Patient. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. Okay. I'm not going to sit here and debate. William H. Macy, Steve Buscemi, Peter Stormare, and Oscar winner Francis McDormand. Say hello. Did you hear the one about the guy who couldn't afford personalized plates, so he went and changed his name to J3L2404? Yeah, that's a good one. A homespun murder story. Looks like she's gonna turn cold tomorrow. Oh, yeah. The Coen Brothers, Fargo. There's more to life than a little money, you know. What a movie. What a movie. I mean, the Coen Brothers rarely make bad films. What, one, maybe two bad movies in their whole oeuvre? (laughs) And even those are probably still better than a lot of movies. And now it's time for Trash Star Destroy. 
That's right. It's Trash Star Destroy back for another week. The first official segment on the podcast and first semi game that we'll play. Uh, a veritable fuck, Mary kill of movies, if you will. We'll give you three movies of a similar ilk and ask that you trash one, which means it's eliminated from existence. One movie you get to star in, in whatever role you'd like to take for yourself. And then that means the third movie then must be destroyed, which means that the only version of that film that has ever been created has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of Ambulance fame. <laughs> so let's get to it. We're talking Cohen Brothers. They have a frequent collaborator and frequent Oscar nominee, uh, Roger Deakins. They've taken a liking to him. He has shot many of their movies and has thusly been awarded many nominations for Academy Awards. Although winning for a Denis Villeneuve film. Go figure. So let's do the three Coen Brothers movies shot by Roger Deakins and nominated for Oscars. We'll do the movie we just watched, Fargo. We'll do a middle classic of the Coen's oeuvre, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? And we'll do their best picture winner, No Country for Old Men. Fargo, Oh Brother, No Country, Trash, Star, Destroy. Oh, I hate this. Uh, Fargo and No Country are by far my two favorite Coens. And after watching, Fargo was my number two. And after watching it this time, I'm like, ooh, it is a lot closer to No Country than I thought it was. I think I have to star in No Country. And I take the Brolin role. I like that move. Which means, yeah. Um, which means I probably need to. Ooh, uh, I guess trash Fargo to keep it out of Bay's hands. I mean, I guess if McDormand was still in the movie, and I mean, if you had the same cast, it'd still probably be pretty good. But I just feel like that's a better outcome for it uh, to trash it, and then. I would like to see Michael Bay do some type of musical movie. So giving him <laughs> Oh Brother is kind of enticing in that sense. You're making me a man of constant sorrow by doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but man, that's a brutal category. But I think I think that's the way I got to go. Well, you know, Frances McDormand has been in a Michael Bay movie. And I do not think she made it any better. I believe she's in one of the Transformers sequels. <laughs> oh, did not know that. Oh, uh, on, yeah, she's in it for like. She's in the worst one minutes. too, Dark of Dark of the Moon. I thought last night was the worst. Uh, I feel like last night is so ridiculous that it makes it funnier. I didn't think Dark of the Moon was the worst one. Revenge of the Fallen was worst. Oh right, that's the real long boring one. Who yes, cares? who cares? Yeah, Why I dipped, are we I dipped out way before this, guys. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're talking. We're talking about Transformers yes, movies while we're discussing the Coen Brothers masterpiece. <laughs> Not an Oscar spectacular show. How dare we? <laughs> edit this out. Film. Just edit it out. Chris. <laughs> we're back on our bullshit, Brad. You know, <laughs> back on our bullshit. Old habits die hard. Uh... Brandon, what are you doing with this trash star destroy? Get us back on track. So. I think that I would want to star in No Country for Old Men and uh, really stretch and play Har heavy, uh, Javier Bardem's character. Anton Chigurh, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like, just like 
you know, I'm giving you so much boy next door these days that it would be dope to be like, now this, you know, I'd love to see you in that haircut. That's what sold me really is like, (laughs) what would be the black version of that haircut or not? Am I just going to like, uh, uh, what's the comedian with the perm that we love? A cat? Will am I just gonna Cat Williams? You know? Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that you know? take. Sweaty and like got the hair flowing. So selfishly, it would be that just to like break out of the very nice thing I've been building with the boy next door vibe. And then I guess I would destroy. Uh, it's hard. Dang, trash star destroy. Um, <laughs> I know, right. <laughs> Okay, so I would I would trash Fargo because I feel like there's enough bloody elements that we can like crank those up some more and throw a couple of booms in there, blow up some, you know, the cars could have blown up, not just flipped over, you know, like definitely. <laughs> we, there's 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 some room in there to crank up some some dudeness if we wanted to, which would then leave me to um, trash Oh Brother Where Art Thou simply because I haven't seen that one. So mm. sorry, oh. brother. Yeah. To destroy right. Fargo. Yeah. yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a real good one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. I, it's one of my personal favorites. Uh, really? So I am going to star in it. I'm sorry, George Clooney. Yeah. I'm stepping into that role. Give me, give me the dapper damn pomade. I, I'm, I'm love mm. that. I, I just, I love the cast I'd get to work with Totoro and uh, John Goodman and um, Tim Blake Nelson. I Holly Hunter. I just, it's so fun. I, I love the old timey, you know, mm-hmm. setting the chain gang stuff out in the, the American South. I think it'd be a really fun shoot. Not to mention it's the Odyssey and that's a great tale. So let's go. I gotta watch that. Here's where it gets hard because now one of these has to go to Michael Bay and one of these doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As much as, boy, I think... Michael Bay has to get No Country for Old Men just because I don't want him <laughs> demolishing the feminist subtlety of Fargo. Mm. Ooh. Good point. Okay. Yeah, great point. You definitely don't have that in No Country to lose. Yes, exactly. And, you know, the fr- <laughs> for cards on the table, first time I saw No Country for Old Men, I was like, wait, what happened? It's over? Because <laughs> you don't actually see the climactic moment of That's between Sugar and, and Brolin. Exactly. And I think Michael Bay would put that in there. <laughs> and, you know, after all these viewings and these, you know, handful of years since that movie's come out, I want to see it. Let's let's see the deleted scene <laughs> directed well, by Michael not, Bay. Well, it's not Sugar and Brolin, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that that's the way I'm going to go. Okay. Sorry, Cullens. No yeah. more best picture for you. <laughs> Honestly, should have gotten it for Fargo. Yeah. Yeah. What won that year? Yeah, I was going to say. Funny you should ask, Brad, because our next Trash Star Destroy category are the other 1996 Best Picture nominees. Totally intentional segue by me. This was a year, (laughs) completely intentional. This was a year where we only had five five Best Picture nominees. Unfortunately, I love the 10. I, I hope it stays like that forever now. So unfortunately, we did omit Secrets and Lies. Uh, the Timothy Spall starring classic? I don't know. But we will do these three. Jerry Maguire. Shine. The Jeffrey Rush piano movie. And the 1996 Best Picture winner, 
The English Patient. All right. The English Patient. Yes. I'm halfway through it. I just started watching it, and it's testing my American patience. (laughs) Just kidding. It's not bad. It's not bad. (laughs) Oh, it's just so long, though, right? It's like 240 or something? Yeah, it's like 245. Yeah. Yeah. I've got like an hour and a half left, and it's all right. I mean, you know, Julia Pinoche and uh, Fines are good. Yeah. Willem Dafoe's in it. I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that either. Saeed from Lost is in it. Uh, Naven Dude, Andrews. Yeah. Him forever. Yeah, me too. He showed up. I was like, whoa, awesome. <laughs> Saeed. What's the other guy with the with the dark rimmed eyes that never aged and lost? Um he, he was like on the island. The ah. long haired dude? No, he had short hair. He's really good looking. He would he just he never aged no matter what time you saw him in. Ah, it's gonna bother me. I don't even know why I brought oh, because we were just talking about lost. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. Well, it's like Jack or Mr. Echo? No, not <laughs> No, no, no. The younger Jack. guy? The guy the the guy who sees the Penny's boat hand? Ooh, is it him? Oh, Desmond? No, not Desmond. God, that's oh. a good moment. Great moment. <laughs> uh it's going to bother me now. Nestor Carbonell. Oh, yeah. Oh, Richard. Oh, yes. Yes, he does look like he has eyeliner all the time cuz he was in Bates Motel as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh. Not even yeah, sure yeah. why I brought him up, but he was my favorite character besides Desmond. Yeah, he was one of the Magic Island people, right? He wasn't on yes. the plane. Yeah. Yes, yes. Chris, you kind of remind me of Desmond. I always thought so. Oh, hey, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank Hi, you. Hi, Prince. Yeah. See you in another life, brother. <laughs> I'm not going to do the accent. Anyway, let's get back Thank to God. the 1996 Best Picture nominees. We're choosing between. We're trash starring and destroying between Jerry Maguire, Shine, and The English Patient. Well, I'm going to star in Jerry Maguire. It's the modern day Casablanca. Uh, <laughs> Do you really believe that? I, I make that joke only because it has so many okay. quotable lines from it. Uh, oh, yeah, like, that's fair. That's fair. It has so many lines that are like famous. Human head weighs eight pounds. You complete me. Um, you had me at a low. Like, legit, show me the show money. Me the money. Yeah. Like, legitimately, like huge huge monster well-known movie lines um but it's not as good as god's block i do love that movie though it's a great romance and uh if i was gonna be in it i guess i'd take the i guess i'm jerry Maguire. i mean part of me would like to work with tom cruise but another part of me is like i don't need that energy sure um so i'll take jerry Maguire role um and then i'm gonna trash shine because i don't think we need um michael bay handling like uh, I, which i believe i really never seen the movie but like a, a mental illness i believe is what the base of that movie is and i don't think mm-hmm. michael bay is equipped to handle uh a, a topic like that and then i kind of want to see michael bay handle like an epic uh romance like english patient uh we saw how well he did with pearl harbor so obviously, <laughs> he's he's equipped to handle something like that. I was obsessed. With so yeah, that's actually a pretty that's a pretty easy category for me, which is nice after how hard the last one was. Brandon, Pearl Harbor fan, the the movie, yeah, the the movie, not the event. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been to the place, but the 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 movie, yes, I did enjoy. Yeah. Um, what are you doing with these era. three? Okay, so. I don't know. I don't I always make this so pivotal and important in my life is like <laughs> sweat over here. I'm going to star in Jerry Maguire and I'll I'll play uh 
Cuba Gooding Jr.'s parts. Just, you know, people get upset when you cast a black person for a role that was white in the first place. So I'll just stick with the role that was already black, you know. But then we get to be in it together. Exactly. Also that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) So I guess then I would destroy the, I I don't really do romantic movies. Yeah. You know, I just, well, okay. So I would trash that, I guess I would say. English patient. I'm like, goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, um, historical so, epic. Yes, exactly. So then I guess that leaves Michael Bay to, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what that would look like. Shine. Yeah, like, I, see, yeah, I'm not saying the names. I don't I don't know what that would look like for Michael Bay, but process of elimination, that's what would happen because romantic movies I fall asleep on. I got a cold heart. <laughs> yeah. And if you're in Jerry Maguire, you get to act alongside Regina King. Exactly. Gina King plays your wife in that movie, and that's awesome. so I I get that I get you, you know, and then like now Regina directs too, so it's like it's building things for the future for me, you know. Mm. Yeah, strategy, good long term stuff, good long term yeah. stuff. Although Michael Bay, I would be an ambulance, but you know, it's already cast, and you cast my friend, so shout out to you. <laughs> oh hell yeah! All right. Uh, well, I'm gonna join you guys in Jerry Maguire. Yes, um, come through. Yeah, I, I have no choice but to play Jonathan Lipnicki's character. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'll do. I'll take Jerry O'Connell's role. I'll be Jerry O'Connell's role. I think I oh. can pretty easily take that role. Oh my god, that's actually very. <laughs> yes, you might have the same haircut. I might have the same haircut actually as Jerry O'Connell. Then that's good. So let's do that, boy. And then I think. I, I've never seen Shine, so I think I just have to trash it, unfortunately. I tried to watch it. It's not available anywhere right now, which is hmm. wow. the, the curse of the streaming services that it's just not available. Uh, and that leaves Michael Bay's The English Patient. So, I mean, <laughs> judging for the last couple of Transformers movies, the runtime probably still stays the same. But Fines is burned all up in the in that, so that'll be fun special effects for Michael Bay to deal with. <laughs> And there are explosions. There's an explosion right at the beginning of the movie. I'm surprised you didn't want to be uh, Jay Moore's character from Jerry Maguire, your favorite actor. I should do that just to get him out of that movie. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I thought you might actually do that. I I forgot he was in it, actually. (laughs) He plays Bob Sugar. Yeah, yeah. And that's Trash Star Destroy for another week. Let's take a break. We're coming right back with more Fargo, more Brandon Black, and more Oscar Spectacular Part 1 Throwback Edition right after this. Hey, Fargo fans. After a quiet evening at home watching Fargo for the 10th time, do you ever ask yourself, whatever happened to all that money? Is it because you've never finished season one of the Fargo TV series? Or perhaps you've never seen Kumiko, the treasure hunter. Rinko Kikuchi, star of Babel and Pacific Rim, plays our titular Kumiko, a woman obsessed with finding the money Steve Buscemi buried in Fargo, convinced that it's real. Based off the urban legend that grew from the true tragic story of Takako Konishi, this film serves as a fable of a woman wanting to break away from her mundane existence in search of something more. Kumiko the Treasure Hunter, a Zeller Brothers adventure. Mahatma Gandhi once said, quote, I object to violence because when it appears to do good, the good is only temporary. The evil it does is permanent. End quote. Well, one of these nominees is about to be permanently enshrined in history as the winner of the best punch, fight, or kill in a feature film. 
And the nominees are The Bus Scene, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, Kano vs. Reptile, Mortal Kombat, Daniel Craig and Ana de Armas, No Time to Die, Tom Holland vs. Willem Dafoe, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Art Gallery Kill, Candyman. And the winner is Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings! Congrats to Marvel on their second win of the night. They're a plucky little studio with a bright future. You know, Chris, some words have double meanings. Play is one of them. It can mean a script acted out on a stage or an exciting moment on an athletic field. This next category aims to award one of them. For some reason, the nominees for best play are Venus's final match, King Richard. The Tragedy of Macbeth, In the Heights, West Side Story, and Tick, Tick, Boom. And the winner is... We're running out of time, Tick, Tick, Boom! Congratulations to Lin-Manuel Miranda for taking home this award for the second year in a row. According to IMDb, he doesn't have any theater adaptations on the docket right now, so there's no way he can win this award again next year. Unless he does a sports movie. And we're back high on film, still talking Fargo with Brandon Black. And now let's dig in to this delicious, delicious movie. It's time for scene work. Of course, we're an optimistic podcast, so we're going to start things off optimistically with best scene. These days we rank our best and worst scenes uh, from top to bottom, one, two, and three rankings. So let's start at three. What is the third Best scene in Fargo. Oh, God. There's so many great scenes. I can't believe the list I'm looking at and the ones I'm going to leave off. Um, I think the number three scene, which I feel like is probably one of the two scenes in this movie most shown in movie. I did air quotes like we're not on radio. Uh, shown in like movie montages or shown anytime you reference this movie. It's the interrogation not interrogation the interview of the two uh mm-hmm. prostitutes at the bar by uh marge francis mcdormand it is mm-hmm. just a perfectly hilarious scene that is uh perfectly acted all around obviously francis mcdormand and i should have looked up the two actresses names who play um the other the all girls. the two prostitutes but it is the funniest scene in this movie and it is written perfectly it is executed by all three perfectly from for each little nuance of reaction and um it's great a great uh comedy piece from mcdormand to just like lean in and react to these things so earnestly but her earnest reaction which like isn't shock per se all the time just really makes it even funnier. Um, I, it's I, I think it's a perfect comedic scene in a, in a movie that is just kind of um, obviously a comedy in a lot of ways, but just has so many terrible things happen, and this is such a relief of a of a scene that really just cracks me up every time I watch it. Yeah, when asked to describe him, she says he's uncircumcised. Yeah, <laughs> great. And then the the funny looking bit. 
is really yeah, good too because that comes back around i all due respect to steve buscemi but yeah. yes he, he's a funny looking guy especially yeah. in his younger days i feel like he's growing into his looks a little more as he gets older yeah, yeah they nailed that as far as like that through lot that running joke throughout the movie is just yeah. perfect yeah really really good brandon you're number three that was my third too i i wow i know that's that's actually um one of the ones I had seen, I hadn't seen this movie before, but I had seen that scene and I didn't know how mm-hmm. it makes sense that you guys say it's in a lot of montages. Cause I'm like, ah, I must've seen it in a bunch of montages before um, of like best movie moments. I, I loved that moment because it, that's what I was thinking of when you said the, um, the underlining of feminism in the movie, because that's what struck me was like we have a, a a lead female character interviewing two female characters no one there's no it's pure like comedy there's it's there's no judgment. nothing needs to be yeah there's no judgment nothing is about being sexy these were prostitutes but now that you know like the way that it was captured just felt like important to that time specifically in my head um, and that was before I was thinking anything about feminism, because when I was watching it, I didn't quite know that she uh, that Francis was the lead just because of the way the movie started. Yeah, she's not in it for 30 minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like Leo and Django. It's like he shows up like at the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so and I also just thought that that scene was a good scene to kind of ground Francis as like, yeah, because a scene we'll talk about later uh you you see like more of the silly elements of who this character is she's not as the person being silly but from a different angle as the audience you know these accents all this is like yeah. you know very very silly even though that you know it's a real accent but in that scene you see that she still has that gravitas she's still the the smarter one that's the lead character and i just thought it was interesting to kind of like pit her against those two and see oh yeah you are like a real detective though this isn't like you know for fun <laughs> you know but no, i know what you mean but the silly because the it's the dissonance between the yes the accents uh association with friendly neighborly yes. people and yeah. the fact that they're being involved in these very violent crimes. Right. It's these niceties that they keep exchanging. But underneath that, she's like, I'm still trying to get this information from you. So, so okay, so he's uncircumcised. What? You know? I was yeah, yeah. <laughs> thoroughly entertained by that. And you guys are blowing my mind by calling this a scene you've seen a lot. I can't yeah. remember seeing this scene in montages or anything. Like, it's I, I when you prefaced it with that, Brad, I was like, oh, which scene is he going to pick? And I had mm. three scenes in my mind, and that was not even close to being one of them. And the fact that oh. we both feel that way, I'm just yeah. like, wow, did we take this in culturally in different ways? Definitely, because I, yeah. this was not a, I mean, I love that scene, but it was definitely not a memorable scene for me that I, mm. I had that stuck out in my mind of it from this movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I Maybe it was recently in a montage or so I, I just remember like maybe not the full scene but like clips of it like oh yeah oh yeah like all that is definitely i've yeah. definitely seen played that in the one other scene but my number three actually is one that i thought was and now i'm questioning everything <laughs> but that i thought was one of the more memorable or famous scenes of the movie it's when marge francis mcdormand um questions uh guard william h macy for the second mm. time when she comes back in to ask yes. him some more questions and he just can't hold his shit together at all and when she brings up the fact that uh he can't it's what he doesn't have 
he doesn't know the car count or um yeah that the car went missing and someone also made a call to one of the 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 mechanics who worked Mm -hmm. at that dealership and when she's like oh well that's quite a coincidence it's just so good it's so funny it's so tense and just her calm cool collected good police work yeah by contrast to william h macy just completely losing his shit just like watching everything unravel in his hands is is just oh just perfection and then he hightails it out of there yeah (laughs) <laughs> and the beat they give her where she's just like in the office by herself, just looking around. is like, he's fleeing the interrogation. He's fleeing the interrogation. <laughs> yeah. fle- fleeing the interview. Fleeing I- the I'm interview. so glad you mentioned that scene because that is actually the one scene where I was like, I can't believe this isn't in my top three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, so. it's one of my favorites. It's uh, obviously, other than I'd say my number two scene, the most memorable scene in this film for me. Hmm. Uh, so I'll just leave that into my number two, actually, hmm. which is Marge rounding the corner of the cabin at the lake to find Peter Stormare shoving Steve Buscemi into a wood chipper. Just the tension builds so well. It just builds so slowly and deliberately as she just kind of, you know, she has her gun drawn, you know, something's going on. She sees him before you can even realize what's going on. Cause there's the noise of the wood chipper. It's a long shot. So you don't exactly see what's in the wood chipper at first. And then you get a medium shot where you see a socked foot sticking out of it. And you just see this just stained snow, just red stained snow from all the blood. I, I mean, no surprise. It is the moment of this movie, I think. Uh, but for reasons I'll explain later, it is my number two. And that is the other's most famous scene. Her pointing to the badge yes. on her head yeah. when he can't hear is like, and Please. another scene that didn't really make my top three. And I can't believe it. I, honestly, it didn't because I knew we would talk about that scene. Okay, okay. So I kind of naturally pushed it down. Cause I assumed one of you would have it on there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, in my mind, like, I'm almost so used to that scene now. I found this watching, like I found other things more interesting this time, but that is the scene from this movie. I absolutely agree with you there. That is like the legendary scene from this movie. What's your number two? Um, Which I guess I'll lead into my number two, which is a little bit of, um, it's not a scene as much as just the setup of Marge in this movie is, uh, this is the first time I really locked into really her storyline more and not mm. just her solving this case, but like kind of what's going on in her life, like being pregnant and seeing kind of her, her reaction to everything around her. And it all kind of culminates in her monologue at the end with in the car with Peter Stormare in the back seat and talking about like, you know, for it's all for a little bit of money and her being so um upset by that of like I, I really focused in this time on her reaction to everything around her of bringing a baby into this world yeah which i never really focused on before and i'll actually get to some of that too in my worst scene but and it, it's it's kind of cheating because i'm talking about just kind of her character overall but the marge the intro to marge and like her relationship with her husband um the fact that she's the cop he's an artist i think Mm -hmm. is we're talking about progressiveness like that wasn't something that probably happened a lot in 1996 and just the setup of their relationship of she's getting up in the middle of the night he's gonna make her eggs 
Um, he brings her lunch at the police station and she brings him worms to like just this like very simple relationship. But the way they set it up is so efficient and perfectly done and leads. And I think it all kind of leads up to this reaction to the world around her just really hit me this time. Mm. I've seen this movie a few times and it's never hit me like that before. Um, so it just really stuck out to me this time, just the Marge story in this that's kind of exists outside of the actual murders uh, really just stuck with me. I didn't catch that she was pregnant until the end. I don't know if oh. I just missed and shit the whole time. Like I, when she's when I when they said the thing about two months, then I was like, I like had this like flash of all the time she kept saying like, you mind if I sit carrying a, he- a heavy load or something like that? And I was like, yep. oh, man, <laughs> <laughs> fully missed that. My goodness. Well, um, I guess I'm a basic bitch because I picked the <laughs> I picked the same scene as you did, Chris. Um, the body in the wood chipper scene. Then let us be basic bitches together. Yes, yes. I need my uh my mimosa or, or my frose. There we go. That's oh yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. There you go. I picked that scene for yeah. It it is that scene. I mean, yes. Like all the things you said. It's this long shot and it's kind of building this moment. And at this point, you're kind of accustomed to gore and you know blood and all that stuff, but. Something about the foot just, I don't know, him, him, the sock on it. it. I don't know. It just all made it so real. And like, he was like jamming it down and it was kind of like bouncing back up. It was like yeah. really like someone's leg. It just, it, that scene got me. And cinematically, I really liked that scene. That's the other reason why I picked it because I was noticing like elements of red throughout the movie, like the brake lights on the car, mm-hmm. um, you know, when the cars were flipped over in the snow, it's like so much white and then red. And even the artwork for the movie uh, is like a lot of red. Um, I always notice stuff like that, like the ketchup bottles and moonlight, you know, like, I oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, I love stuff like that. Um, and there was so much blood all over that snow with more <laughs> spraying out. It just, it looked very cool to me. And, um, I'm always going to pick something that if it does both visually and then like shock value wise, if it hits me the same way, like that's going to be one of my favorite scenes, you know? Okay, guys. Well, here it is. We're down to number one. What's the yes. best scene in Fargo? If if that's the most memorable, then what's the best? To me, the the most memorable scene was the first scene that you see Francis in when she's coming to investigate the the scene. It was just the first. That's when I was like, oh, here's other characters. Oh, wait, these are the main characters or some of the main characters. Okay, and the way um, there was just so much comedy built into how she how they both were talking about the scene it was like still getting the job done of being a police officer but that accent is so they play into it it's not just that that's someone's accent it's that it's written to go yeah yeah and like oh you betcha you know it's just like it it was in there so intentionally that it kept like it was the first kind of things in uh, informing what the tone of this movie was going to be for me Mm because i haven't seen a ton of coen brother movies but I know that the tone and 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 um, that kind of underlying comedic element is like a big part of their thing. And this is when I was like, oh, yeah, OK, they're like really good at that. It was like my probably the most fun to watch for me in terms of her like piecing together a scene. And she was like, well, it looks like they probably just did this and this. And, this. and it was all the right stuff, but it sounded like an idiot. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It was like probably my favorite scene, but it is my favorite scene. And that's why I picked it. <laughs> 
That's phenomenal. It does so much. In addition to being very funny, you also learn how good of a, a policewoman Marge yeah. Gunderson is, where she's looks, she sees the footprints in the snow. She's yeah. like, oh, here's what happened. Uh, as she kind of like yeah. Yeah, and it's, dissects it's not, the scene. Yeah, and it's not done in this like moody, you know, like when you normally like you start on the blood spatter, and then you pan up to the the detective and he like appears to his right or something. It, it wasn't like that at all, but it was still doing all of that. Yeah, and she's so quaint. She's like, oh, this guy's yeah. a little smaller than the big fella. Yeah. And then the other guy, the other cop is, he doesn't speak that much. So he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you say? Okay. Like, yeah. it's just like one or two words at a time. And it's, it is. It's very funny. And yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a great, great scene for her. Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant uh, example of walking the crime scene. And like you see in every cop show, but yeah. done in its own put its own comedic twist on it, which is just brilliant and yeah. brilliantly executed. Exactly. Yeah. Which kind of leads into my number one pretty well, actually, which was kind of the two scenes back to back this one. Mm. And then before it, the cop pulling them over, mm. uh, which is kind of my number one. I mean, that yeah. scene, the, the tension of that, they do such a brilliant job. Like in most movies, the cop pulls them over. They sit on the side of the road and the cop like walks right up to the door immediately. And you just kind of start the scene. But they, it, which is reality. I, when I get pulled over, like the cop sits back there for a minute and like figures some stuff out. So you're like building the tension more. The cop coming up to the car, it all going wrong, shooting the cop. And then the people driving by and then the chase. Like just all of that is, or actually dragging the cop off the road and then seeing the lights in the distance is actually yeah. what's, probably the best moment of that is like, oh, okay, you've seen this before. They're going to get this guy off the road and they're going to drive away. But then just the tension building of lights in the distance, just slowly coming towards them. Yeah. Is so fantastic. And, and then those, the people in the car look them right in the face. So you yeah. just know they're fucked. You're just like, oh, they slow down. They're, they're even yeah. like aghast at what they're watching. <laughs> yeah. So you're just like, oh, then, you know, they're not going to let this go. And then, and then, you know, obviously Peter Stormare going after them and killing them. And then just even little things like shooting the person in the back in the snow, running away from them the way Marge does to him at the end. Mm. Um, the way that Marge says in that scene, like, oh, yeah, his buddy must have sat in the car because he drove away and like it's cold out. So he had to stay warm, like even and we didn't even really see that. Like the way those two scenes connect for me, or I was just like, so, so brilliantly done yeah. and just perfect build of tension perfect execution of everything that's funny brad that that was my number one um uh, i that, figured it might be from the car to to the end of the the crime i guess of them getting driving off i'll even extend it though to the beginning of the crime when stormare and buscemi are, are looking in the window of the lundergaard house and before they break the window, and then she screams and runs upstairs. Right. They drag the phone under the door. She tries to climb out the window, ends up in the shower. They almost bypass her until they find her. And then she gets wrapped in the shower curtain and falls down the stairs. I mean, that is that is just quintessential Coen Brothers for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the, you know, less than professional criminals... And just the funny things that happen in mistakes that that make crimes messy and out of control, like those chaos elements, I think would probably be a better way to put it. It's just, I mean, that's in every Coen Brothers movie and it's just done so well here. So from the beginning of the crime for, 
for Jerry's wife to be sitting on the couch watching TV to seeing a, a masked man peer, trying to peer in the window and her just staring at him, not the, trying to comprehend the, 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 what's going on is so, it's so interesting. It's such a real choice. Yeah. It shows like how protected she feels in her own house until the window is smashed. Mm. It's, it's so, it's so well done. And then, yeah, just that leading into the stuff on the, on the side of the highway, um, and yeah, you think the car is going to get away cause you lose the lights, but then you see it's flipped over. Like just the escalation of this crime going out of control and, and Stormare and Buscemi trying to contain it as much as they can is just so perfectly executed yeah. in my number one scene of the movie. Yeah. The break in, they do such a great job of finding that perfect line between legitimate terror and legitimate comedy. And they like yeah. match, they meet him so well in that scene of like this, you, you feel true horror for her. when that phone gets ripped out of her hands yeah. and yeah. up to the door. I'm like, that's straight out of a horror movie. But then when she's running around with a shower curtain overhead and falls down the steps, you're legitimately laughing. Like yeah. it is, they, they do that better than anybody. Yeah. Also you're totally right. Telling on herself. Like he, he's like in the, he's like in the bathroom and he like peers up into the mirror and you, you could tell that he is like, wait but then she just freaks the fuck out and, and it's like maybe if you stood still he'd have been he would have been like nah 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 you yeah know, whatever and she, and she like loses it and that's what starts the whole thing for her anyway yeah it's 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 just perfection and and one of the reasons that this is one of the all-time great coen brothers movies it's so yeah. good okay well if there's a best scene that means <laughs> there's a worse scene i guess Let's do the same thing. Rank them. Three, two, one. What is our third worst scene? Okay. So my third worst scene was a scene that I thought you could remove from the movie and the movie would still be fine as is. Mm. And it's the Marge meeting her friend Mike scene. Mm. Proud I'm with you over this 100%. I had the exact same thought process that I wrote it down being like, what is this? And then I was like, wait. No, it's completely necessary and it's so good. Yeah. And it's perfect. It it I mean, it's so perfectly awkward of like this guy who's tries to sit on the same side of the booth as her, and she's like, I think you want to go to the other side. Like her standing her ground too is fantastic. But then the but then and I was just kind of like, it's a good scene, but you could take it right out of the movie, and the movie is the same. But then when you see later on when she gets the phone call, like this guy's obviously like the guy he said, the woman he said was his wife was never his wife. He's like kind of a stalker. He's a mess. And it plays again into McDormand questioning bringing a child into this world because there's so many of these un, uh, things you can't describe and all these kind of horrific things that kind of go on and there's scary elements to this world. And like in that scene of her getting that phone call, I was like, oh, right. This is all playing into her questioning like, how am I bringing a child into this world? And it's very subtle. That's what makes that so great is she never really like says it other than the monologue at the end. And I'm just like really not saying like a best scene, not yeah. a worst scene. But, um, it's the worst scene. It's the least best scene. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, cause I was like, you can take it right out and it doesn't matter. I'm like, no, it's playing into her character. It, it's mm-hmm. it, it. And it shows her character more in this, you know, kind of, um, she's being friendly to this guy because she kind of feels bad for him, but then realizing he's actually kind of a dangerous person. Um, and it just feeds into her having these questions about it. It all leads up to that monologue at the end in the car with Stomart. So 
Yeah, that was my third worst scene. And ultimately, I'm like, I actually think it's pretty brilliantly used. So there you go. Yeah, I, I'm with you lockstep, Brad. I, I'll just add that it also shows, it also exemplifies what like a woman would have to go through while also solving this horrific crime. She still has to put up with bullshit like this from dudes like <laughs> trying to sit on the same side of the booth as her, trying to ask her out and hit on her, even though he professes he was married. She was married. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just because he saw her on TV on the news. <laughs> And just now has become re-obsessed with her since high school or whatever they, you know, whatever their history was. Uh, but yeah, it was my third worst. And then I was like, oh no, this really fits in the movie really well. But I literally had nothing else written down. So, <laughs> yep. Brandon? Yeah, I struggled uh, here. Um, I, th- this scene is on my list. It's just not my worst. <laughs> um, my third worst. Yeah, my third worst was... Um, the hooker scene, the, the prostitutes, uh, like j- literally just the sex part. And it was literally just because I'm like, I mean, we don't need it, you mm-hmm. know, like, but then you do need it because then it's part of why the interrogation was funny. You know, it's part of like, you know, like, yeah, he was uncircumcised and he was a weird looking dude. And like, you know, like you did need it, but I was writing these down in the moment and I was like, ah, we don't, this is just a quick moment of sex. Like you could literally just cut this out and like, it doesn't have to be here which is still true. You could see that they took hookers home and then you can just interview them the next day. But it's like part of the personality of the movie, like these two dudes, you know, it's just, yeah. it's like part of it. And also um, it's not ex- too explicit of nudity or anything not. either. So it's, no. yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I had that listed too. I didn't, it, it was my only other worst scene listed that I didn't, that I don't have as my top three. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, you could probably get rid of it. But then I agree. Once the interrogation scene came around, I was like, Oh, this does help kind of it's a quick thing that does really give a little background to this scene. So it does yeah. help it ultimately. Yeah, it does. So, you know, again, we all of our worst scenes are secretly just best scenes. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, number two. Um, number two also, this is bullshit. Um the based on a true story thing at the beginning. Hmm. Interesting. I only have a problem with it because I feel like once they started doing that, everybody started ripping that off in, in like different ways of like, this is a, this is a totally true story except for all the parts that are made up or like things like that. Like, I feel like people started jumping on that and started twisting it their own ways. And like, it was just never original again. So when I saw it this time, I was like, Oh, right. Yeah. People really started latching onto this and just beating a dead horse basically. Yeah. So it's not even I hold it against the Coens. It's just everyone else ripping it off. Like a lot of people ripping it off and using it in their own way just kind of made it annoying. Um, sure. Did you ever believe this was a true story? I probably did. I, I honestly don't remember. I think I did. I, I think I did. probably did. I remember yeah. being in college and someone's like, that's not a true story. And I'm like, what? It says yeah. it is at the beginning. Movies that say mm-hmm. this is a true story based on true stories why would a movie lie to me (laughs) like oh because it's fiction that's how i feel right now i'm finding out right now that this wasn't a true story oh yeah (laughs) like but it said that it was (laughs) what uh i love it i i really do love that because i like the way it it immediately cements it into like a greater american mythos Mm. um i think it's super cool i think it is a fun trick to play on the audience too um, and I think it makes you, I think it sells that weird 
absurdity of the chaos element of violence more. Being told mm. this is a true story makes this feel more real and more terrifying. And and also then plays into the dilemma of, can you bring a child into this world where this kind of terrible stuff happens? Well, I think it gr- helps ground the characters a little bit too. Because exactly. Because I feel yeah. like for outsiders who don't know people from Fargo, you could find this just like very silly yeah. or something just because of the accents and all this. But I think that helps ground it that this, and I'm not judging at all, but yeah. I'm just saying like, that is, you know, they do have the accents and it's played for comedy in this movie, but I think right. it does kind of help kind of pull that back and make everybody realize like these are, or at least believe like these are real people. These are yeah. people that are living real lives who have real problems, who have real everyday, you know, things to deal with. So I think it kind of helps ground it in that way too. And just one little uh, side note, these people are not from Fargo. They're from Brainerd or Minneapolis, as far as we know. Uh, Fargo only... Oh, right is the location uh, where William H. Macy meets Stormare and Buscemi. That's the only time we're in Fargo oh, in the whole movie. Right. Oh, right. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. That first scene where he that. meets them is the only time we're in Fargo. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Which, man, I can't believe I didn't talk about that scene. Um, <laughs> also the, great. I can't believe what I would like. Rolling the, up late. <laughs> it's That whole scene is so good. Okay. Well, my number two is easy. Marge and Norm get Arby's for lunch. Yuck. <laughs> Facts. You never had a good beef and cheddar. I never had a good Arby's meal. Yeah, <laughs> I swore them off years and years ago. I have not gone back, but I tried it a few times, and I hated it, detested it every single time I ate it. I'm with that. I back that up. I've had some. Uh, I had some good Arby. I mean, in my mind at the time, they were good Arby's. But then I've had a couple like just terrible, terrible Arby's experiences, and I haven't gone back since. Brandon, you got a number two for us. This was my uh, scene at the Radisson. This was this was the one that we already talked about. This was my number two. Um, gotcha. The Mike already, uh, already you okay? Yeah. Mm. yeah, Mike played by Steve Park. I did look him up. Oh, good for you. Thank you for that. Yeah, because yeah. he is perfectly he is gross in that yeah. scene. Yeah, yeah. and I plays um, it very well. You know, I, I you know, there's just like a few little bits of diversity here and there, but he was one, and then um, Shep, Shep, and there was a black guy, um, I think at the police station, somewhere. Yeah, briefly. clearly a very prominent figure in the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, who was? Yeah, um, but yeah, so that was my number two. All right, well, that brings us to number one. What could possibly be? be the worst scene in this film. Okay, so this is just my own annoyance, but mm-hmm. when Buscemi goes into that parking lot and he drives out and he's like, oh, I just pulled in and came out and the guy's like, you still have to pay the $4. Like, that's bullshit. If you just drove into that parking lot, you turn around, come right out, you shouldn't have to pay a dime. Yeah. That's horseshit. And I actually think that's kind of changed since then. I was going to say, Maybe. I've never had that be the reality. I've pulled in and out of parking garages when I couldn't find a space or something and I've never been charged. Correct. I mean, maybe it's, yeah. Is it not realistic or is it just like super annoying to me? But you pull into a lot and you pull right out. There's no way you should have to pay any money. No way. And I was just like, that bugged me. That scene reminded me of either Breaking Bad or, um, or Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul. And I couldn't remember which, but there's a scene where Mike is trying Better to get Call out. Better Call Saul. Of, okay. Was it spoofing this? Well, I, I know Better Call uh, well, probably not, but I know in Better Call Saul, there's literally scenes where, like, 
Mike's working in the booth and Jimmy's like driving past, like drives in and out. Yeah. So he gives him guff about not getting validated. Yeah. 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 That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. It, it, I thought, I was like, oh, is this referencing that? And I just didn't know that because I hadn't seen this movie yet. Um, what do you guys think? No. Uh, it might be a light nod. I mean, they definitely chose nod, to have but... Mike work, uh, you know, a parking yeah. lot attendant. Yeah. But yeah, who knows? I, I feel like Jimmy coming out of the parking uh, lot never is of the same kind of yeah <laughs> intentions or, or franticness as like Buscemi is. Or... True. I feel like he does get pissed. He does get pissed off the way Buscemi does, though. He yeah, pissed. he does. Yeah. He's short tempered. Yeah. He also yeah. thought it was horse shit. Yeah. yeah, it's a good <laughs> reference, Brandon. Yeah, I'm honestly not. It it has a lot of similarities. You never yeah. know. At a moment, it felt like I was seeing it shot for shot, but I also, you know, deja vu is a thing, so I wasn't sure. Sorry, uh, who was next? Uh, I can go. Mine's another kind of jokey thing that I was just like, why is this in the movie? Mm. In Scotty Lundegaard's room, he has an accordion king poster on the <laughs> wall, and then there's an accordion on his bed. And I understand that that's maybe a more regional thing, like in that like <laughs> mid northwest, you know, there's a little more appreciation of like polka and, and things like that. But like this kid does not seem like an accordion. He's not weird Al. Like he doesn't look like he's like that into yeah. the accordion. We never hear him play it. It doesn't play anything into it. I just thought it was a very funny, albeit maybe unnecessarily um, obvious piece of the production design i was like why <laughs> big accordion things in this room again nothing big i just like what is this why why is this is this just a color the area of the of the country we're in uh little character detail yeah, yeah i guess yeah that was yeah that was a favor to somebody on the set and they would like throw this in there yeah somebody's <laughs> like i love the accordion i love the accordion growing up i love yeah. the accordion king I'm Scotty Lundegaard is gonna love the Italian <laughs> King. Uh, um, I guess it leaves me. Yes, sir. You know, snow. I hate it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Hate snow. Um, it's a cold movie. Cold, cold movie. And so I guess I have to pick that as my. <laughs> worst scene i don't know the whole the whole, <laughs> the whole movie is snow god and that's not even actually true because my actual favorite shot of the whole movie was the aerial shot of the parking lot i wrote it's that down i love so it so beautiful to me and i've just i've been looking for examples to explain to people why i didn't like the new batman movie um and i just didn't find it visually inspiring and it's because mm -hmm. i love stuff like that like I, I know that that's a random people who you know trying to explain that to my mom who doesn't watch it the way that we watch it she wouldn't get why you know a, a view of the parking lot mattered so much but it looked so beautiful to me um but there's so much snow snow's bad so this is my worst scene <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, I, it's a good point i mean i i do think like anytime you can make something is normal or bland or boring as a parking lot look beautiful like man you're doing something right yeah i just that's yeah. my favorite kind of visual storytelling is like things that are mundane and or whatever being like heightened to such a degree like that so we should have just done six best scenes a piece is that basically what we <laughs> yeah. should have done <laughs> i definitely had that shot that that parking lot shot in my best scene column yeah so, yeah 
definitely. All right, guys. Well, that's scene work. Now it is time for the final game of the podcast. Fan favorite. It's time for milking it. That's right. It's time for milking it. Uh, the game where we take all the big Hollywood ideas, mix them up, turn them around, and put out some recycled material to make a billion more dollars for the Hollywood studio system. In a moment, we're going to roll out the big computer of Hollywood Ideas 2000, and it's going to provide us each with two guidelines. We're each going to get a time limit, uh, either a 30-second elevator pitch, a 60-second water cooler pitch, or a 90-second executive boardroom pitch. And in that time frame, you will have to reimagine, remake the Coen Brothers Fargo into a brand new movie using the second guideline the computer will provide, which will be either, either be a genre or a director. Uh, so, you know, you could get Western and you have to put cowboys in Fargo. It can be a Steven Spielberg movie suddenly and you have to have it be about aliens and having absentee father damage whatever you want to do so let's get the computer here and fire her up it's got me going first all right i get the 30 second elevator pitch to remake Fargo as a summer blockbuster. Michael Bay may get his wish. <laughs> oh boy. I know. Brandon Black, you're going second. Water cooler pitch. One minute to get out Fargo by Tim Burton. <laughs> okay. Tim Burton. Yeah, let's make it good. He hasn't had a real good hit in a few years now. Yeah. So let's, let's try to get him do. back on track. <laughs> Bounce back. Bounce back. And Brad, that leaves you for the boardroom pitch, a minute and a half. Great. Oh, you're you're gonna need all the time to do this one too. You're gonna need the full ninety seconds to pitch us Fargo as a porno. Ah, okay, great, great, great. A minute and a half to explain a porno. Finally, the Fargo porn parody we've all been waiting for. I'm sure what one already exists. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. All right, man, I just, okay, we'll save it for your pitch. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to gather our thoughts for these films, and we'll be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment after this. Some say there are no original ideas in Hollywood. The nominees for Best Existing IP are Spider-Man, No Way Home, F9, The Fast Saga, No Time to Die, Candyman, and Dune. And the winner is... Spider-Man, No Way Home. That's its second award of the night. The Oscars may have overlooked Spider-Man, but the Felixes sure did it. And we're back, right in the middle of milking it. And here we go, three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment to put out there and make a billion more dollars for the studio system. The computer has me going first. The elevator pitch, 30 seconds to get out Fargo as a summer blockbuster. 
And away I go. A down-on-his-luck man hires two amateur criminals to pull off the heist of a lifetime by stealing from his own father-in-law. When things get out of hand and bodies start appearing, the local cops have to bring in the big guns. The FBI, headed by tough-as-nails, no-nonsense Marge Gunderson. She figures it out. Big snowball, snowball, snowmobile chase with guns at the end. The small town of Brainerd can now rest easy once more. How far will you go for a little bit of money? In Frozen. <laughs> right on time, too. Great yeah, name. That's nice. Thank you. Excellent name. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Maybe a little bit of confusion with the other Frozen, but, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a big movie, though. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah. We'll let it go. All right. <laughs> Brandon, you're up next. You got the water cooler pitch. You'll get 60 seconds to get out your summary for the Tim Burton's Fargo. Are you ready? I'm ready. 60 seconds is a long time, Chris. <laughs> That's all right. Hey, <laughs> the executives are only happy or are even happy if you take up less of their time, you know? Right. So, yeah. At the water cooler. Yeah. Exactly. As long as you get your point across. Yeah. Right. yeah. Title and a quick summary in three, two, one. Hey, so I uh, saw this really great movie last week. Um, have you heard of it? It's called, uh, it's Tim Burton's movie, and it's called um, Just Outside of Brainerd There. It's, um, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's a, it's a animated film, uh, one of his best, and you've got Helena Bonham Carter. She's going to be uh, playing the lead character. Um, and then you've also got Johnny Depp, of course. I mean, this is, you know, we, we know who, who's directing this movie here, Tim Burton. Uh, <laughs> Still looking out for his boy. Yep, of course. And he's playing uh, Gayard Grimsman's character, if you've seen this in an alternate universe. Um, and then you've got Sasha Baron Cohen, who's going to play Simi's part. Yes. So, wow, I'm almost out of time. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about it. Uh, you know, there was a legendary car salesman uh, out there outside of Brainerd who was bent on revenge against his father-in-law. So he takes out a hit on his wife to get the money. But then the plan goes horribly wrong and he has to. Uh, and that's where I stopped typing. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I stopped typing. OK, let's find it. Let's find the rest. Plan goes horribly wrong in this animated Tim Burton film. There's a song in there at some point. Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, the 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 prostitutes sing uh, about an uncircumcised penis. Love it. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Finally, the song we've been waiting for. Yes, long overdue. Oh, and uh, yet to I didn't know who to cast in this, but there's a, a like a a short pudgy stoogy type character, um, Mr. Danny DeVito. But from Tim Burton's like, Batman Returns. I was yeah, and I was like, do, is literally everyone from every one of his movies going to be in this? But that's what he does. So you're yeah. right. There we go. Half baked though. So I need to find the ending. Helena Bonham Carter's character gives birth, and then we cut to black. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I like that. The end is a new beginning. <laughs> yes. you know? Yeah. 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 I'm back with my bullshit for anyone who has uh, listened to my other episodes. This is this is what I do here. <laughs> <laughs> we love you for it, Brandon. <laughs> and honestly, you, you should have closed with the title. Just I know, outside of I know. Is <laughs> Perfect. Mush, yes, kiss. Yeah, just outside of <laughs> yeah. Brandon there. The title is amazing. <laughs> amazing title. Uh, yeah. 
Thank and you. He got Francis McDormand out of it too, because I was going to say if that would have been the title, people would have been confusing it with three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Exactly. You know, uh, so we don't need all that. We exactly. Need we don't need all that. Animated. <laughs> I like going with the Burton animated. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love stop motion. Right. Okay, Brad, you're heading up okay. the elevator to the to the boardroom. Are you ready to pitch to the executives? Yep, this is where all porno pitches happen. The Fargo porno. Top, top floor with the executives. That's right. Okay. Universal <clears throat> Pictures presents. Minute and a half. Here you go, Brad. In three, okay. two, one. So we open on Jerry and his wife, Gina, having sex one morning. Uh, then... <laughs> So Jerry leaves and he goes out to meet uh, two thugs at a bar and surprisingly says that they have to help him uh, kidnap his wife for ransom from his uh, father-in-law. So they agree to do it, but only if they can have a threesome in the bar bathroom. So they three of them go have a threesome in the bar bathroom. Um, When they go to kidnap his wife, they show up pretending to be electricians saying they need to turn everything on. So then they take turns going down on uh, Jerry's wife, Jean. Um, but <laughs> um, but then they still kidnap her. Um, they get pulled over by the cop, who they seduce into a threesome. So, But the cop then sees the body in the back seat of Jean, so they end up having to kill him. Um, now Marge is investigating, and Jerry tries to seduce her to throw her off the trail, but she's not having it. Uh, and then the thugs now with Gene back at the place, Gene seduces each one of them separately and has sex with each one of them separately, but that enrages Peter Stormare's character. So he kills them both and Marge arrests, uh, Jerry and, um, you know, Peter Stormare and then goes home and has sex with her husband in far go down on her. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. These titles are a one yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> i you know maybe i just haven't seen enough porn but is there a lot of murders in pornos you're not watching sure. a lot of porn yeah yeah i guess so. <laughs> there's still a plot yeah, yeah. again using air quotes on a radio show right no and listen i'm praising you i like the uh, the genre mixing of throwing in some uh, yeah. some, some murder into some porno <laughs> definitely sex and violence man yeah well, great, guys. That's milking it. I think we just sold three brand new movies. So sit back and relax and let that box office cash roll in. Mm-mm, Woo. Mm-mm. All right, guys. That's the show. That's High on Film. We just have one last segment, and that's Brad Davis. You just watched Fargo. What are you going to do next? I still need to catch up on some Oscar movies um, that I haven't watched yet, particularly uh, in case in point. Uh, Tragedy of Macbeth. I've still not watched. Right. So, oh, by Joel Cohen. Correct. So it felt uh, fitting to uh, try to knock that off my list before part two of our spectacular. So that's what I'm going to do next. Fantastic. Brandon Black, you just watched Fargo. What are you going to do next? I'm going to watch the pilot of the first episode of the series. I keep hearing awesome. about it and I just, I wanted to watch the movie first. Never watched the movie. So now I'm set up. I'm ready to go. Hell yeah. You're going to love the parallels that are in it are yeah. so fun. You're, you're going to have a blast. Is anyone, is, is Steve Buscemi in it? Is, is anyone from the movie? It's all, it's the same world, but different people. And similar events in some cases. Got it. But all different yeah. actors. Got it. You'll see how they play with it. It's really fun. 
I don't want to say too much. You should just go in. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. After watching the movie, I was like, ooh, I want to go back and watch that first season again. Um, But anyway, Chris Maxwell, you just watched Fargo. What are you going to do next? Well, Brad, like you, I'm going to try to finish uh, my Oscars death race. I don't think I'm going to make it this year. But uh, most notably, I do want to see Hand of God still Mm -hmm. and the Sorrentino film. And... um, Yak in the Classroom. I really want to know what that movie's about, other than oh. a yak in a classroom. I, I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> so those two, I'm hoping to knock out before uh, the Oscar Oscar night. Here we go. The 94th Academy Awards coming up. So can't wait for those. And we will be back next week with Oscar Spectacular Part 2 with whatever wins Best Picture at said ceremony. Mm. So tune in next week for that. And, of course, Brandon. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It is always a goddamn delight to have you. Uh, and just to reiterate, I, I know Brad and myself, we are both so proud of you and so happy for your success, uh, man. Thank you. Long time coming. Thank you. I'm, I feel it has been a long time coming. We all been out here slugging it out for a very long time. We three know, have known each other for a long time. So it meant a lot to, uh, to hear that from you guys. Thank you. And thank you for having me back on here, too, because, I mean, this is always so fun. It's movies. It's weed. It's everything I like. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Check out uh, Video Homecoming on Netflix. Yes. Do you want to plug any social media presence? Smoke some weed before you watch it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> yes, you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at bblack, letter B, B-L-A-C-K, or Twitter at Brandon underscore F underscore black. Fantastic. Brad Davis, thank you as always, my friend. Thank you as well, sir. Yeah, go listen to Death at Sunset if you haven't yet. Two seasons out, wherever you get your podcasts. Season two, featuring Brandon Black. That's right. A fantastic job. Definitely have to book you now for season three, I guess. Yeah, get in, because the price is going up. But for you guys, it's free. (laughs) But it sounds sounds fun to say. afford you. (laughs) Follow High on Film on all the social media places you'd like to. I'm at Cross Maxwell. That's Chris with an O in place of the I. The big guy over there is at BD, always GP, wherever you can find him. And that's it, guys. We'll see you next week for the Oscar show. Goodbye. Bye. High on Film is a Maxwell Davis Productions podcast. Original music by Zach Pfeiffer. For more information, follow at High on Film on Twitter and Instagram or email the show at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com. Well, you sat through the credits to hear this because you sat through the credits to see these. The nominees for Best post credit Scene are Cruella, Venom, Let There Be Carnage, Eternals, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and Luca. And the winner is Cruella. You know what they say. One man's post credit scene is another man's first scene from 101 Dalmatians. Oh, we made them sit through the credits for that. The High on Film Awards will return in part two of the Oscar Spectacular, featuring the awards for Best Tearjerker, Best Music, and the prestigious Palme de Verre, next week, only on High on Film.